0: Welcome to the Cracking Addiction Show. My name is Philippe Noren and I'm a GP and Addiction Medicine Advanced Trainee. And I'm joined on this episode, as I have been in all the other episodes, with Dr. Fergal Armstrong, who is a GP and also a Lifestyle Medicine and Addiction Specialist. Fergal, good to be with you again.
1: Glad to be here, Philippe. Thanks for the uh, invite.
0: So today on the episode, we're going to be talking again about alcohol, but going into Some of the more important aspects of alcohol and alcohol withdrawal. So, Fergal, what is alcohol withdrawal?
1: Well, um, the DSM 5 defines withdrawal as a symptom, or alcohol withdrawal syndrome, as a symptom complex that occurs on cessation or sharp, sudden reduction of alcohol that may or may not be alleviated by regaining or re- resumption of consumption of alcohol or the use of other sedative medication like benzodiazepines. So the key the, the key question is, what is that symptom complex? And also another question that we need to talk about is, why does it happen in the first place? So I'd like to go answer the second question first. Why do we get alcohol withdrawal syndromes in the first place? And the answer is, as we've said in previous episodes, alcohol is a CNS depressant. So chronic exposure to that CNS depressant means that to maintain any kind of level of functioning, the brain has to actually ramp up its neuroexcitatory neurotransmitters, predominantly glutamate, but also secondarily dopamine. Therefore, the brain in, in someone who is who is exposed to chronic levels of high alco- chronic high levels of alcohol, their brains are, relatively speaking, more full of glutamate and dopamine. And then when you suddenly stop the alcohol, you've got all of this unopposed glutamate and dopamine with nowhere to go. And so you end up with this neuroexcitatory syndrome, a withdrawal syndrome. And in the context of alcohol, we call it alcohol withdrawal syndrome. So what are the standard features? Well, on one level, we can think about alcohol withdrawal as autonomic arousal associated with perceptual disturbances. That's on a very basic level. That's how I tell the difference between something like alcohol withdrawal and opioid withdrawal. So for opioid withdrawal, I think of it as an autonomic hyperarousal associated with a flu-like illness. Whereas with alcohol withdrawal, I think of it as an autonomic arousal associated with perceptual disturbance. However, if we want to drill down on the specific features of the alcohol withdrawal syndrome, a useful mnemonic, and I, you know I love my mnemonics, Thalipin, A useful mnemonic is past night. so I always think, oh, you've stopped drinking the past night, therefore you're going into withdrawal. So P-A-S-T-N-I-T-E, psychomotor agitation, anxiety, seizures, transient hallucinosis, nausea, insomnia, tremor, and excitation, so autonomic hyperarousal, so things like tachycardia, sweating. Uh, hypertension, and, and for that matter, fever. Now, the interesting point about withdrawal syndromes is, is, are they associated with fever? In my clinical experience, if I see fever as part of a withdrawal syndrome, it's not impossible, but I always look for a second cause. So there's always the risk of a concurrent sepsis or pneumonia or a meninger encephalitis. But yeah, those are, the, those are the symptoms of what we would call an uncomplicated alcohol withdrawal.
0: Excellent, and you've kind of explained it in a very all-encompassing way. So you've already explained what alcohol withdrawal is and what happens during alcohol withdrawal. But I guess the thing doctors want to know is it's good to know what it is and what happens, but what can we do about it? How can we manage an alcohol withdrawal as doctors?
1: So the, the, the thing about alcohol withdrawal is if you give it enough time, it goes away because the body, the brain rebalances itself. The reason why we have to treat alcohol withdrawal is that we don't want A, severe symptoms, and B, we don't want there to be the progression to complicated withdrawal, and C, we also need to be aware of and treat the comorbidities, in particular the comorbidity of Wernicke's encephalopathy that we may see with untreated alcohol withdrawal. So the three reasons why we, we treat alcohol withdrawal, so severity of symptoms, progression to complicated withdrawal, and Wernicke's, these all mandate medical attention. Yep. So let's talk about what is a complicated alcohol withdrawal. So I think of those complications as being uh, alcohol withdrawal hallucinations, alcohol withdrawal seizures, and that dreaded diagnosis, delirium tremens, otherwise known as alcohol withdrawal delirium.
0: Yep. So. Going on from that question, what is a withdrawal seizure?
1: So a withdrawal seizure is a usually, well, by definition, it's a seizure associated with alcohol withdrawal due to that alcohol withdrawal. So it's a, usually a generalized tonic-clonic seizure that is short-lasting. And the timing of this alcohol withdrawal seizure is important as well. So we would normally expect to see the seizure between six hours after cessation of alcohol all the way through to 48 hours. So, you know, late day one, early day two, that's when we would expect to see that seizure. So, a seizure that doesn't fit that pattern, we have to be suspicious of. So, if a seizure is not generalized tonic-clonic, if it's lasting more than five minutes, prolonged, and if it's outside that time frame, then we have to think: is this seizure due to another cause? And so, there could be various causes. So, we could have pre-existing, either known or unknown seizure disorder. Or we could have a pre-existing comorbidity causing seizures, for, so for instance, you know, a, a, a brain injury, trauma, brain bleed, metabolic derangement, or, or sepsis. Um, and it's really important to try and tell the difference between one group and another group. And one way of looking at it is to actually look at the post-dictal state. So for, for a normal state post state, state post-other cause of seizure, You tend to be drowsy, you tend to be very calm afterwards, and your vitals are not deranged. Whereas seizure associated with alcohol withdrawal, well, you know, you're by definition going to be agitated, anxious, you're going to be awake, and your vitals, your vital signs are going to be deranged. So that's a useful way of separating it out. But an alcohol withdrawal seizure is self-limiting, but it does warrant a reconsideration of the regime that you're using to treat the alcohol withdrawal and usually that means revis- revisiting the dose of the benzodiazepines that you're using
0: right excellent
1: now going on to something
0: that all of us who treat people with alcohol use disorder fear what is delirium tremens and what can we do about it
1: so Delirium tremens is, well, literally, as the Latin says, it is a delirium confusion associated with tremor. And when I, when I first started, I, I used to think that the defining feature of delirium tremens was the tremens, bit, the tremor. But actually, we know that all withdrawal syndromes characterized by autonomic hyperarousal also cause a tremor. So the tremor is not in any way diagnostic. The delirium is. So delirium is characterized by a disconnectedness with reality, the inappropriate the, the inability to, to respond to and appreciate the external environment. Now there are a number of, of key cognitive deficiencies associated with delirium, but the most important one is the attentional deficit. So the loss of attention. So there are various psychological tests that we can do to diagnose attentional deficit. There's also a range of um, cognitive tests that we can do that are specific to alcohol withdrawal delirium, but a a very kind of a short, rough-and-ready test of delirium or diagnostic criteria for delirium is the short CAM test. So, you know, for for short CAM to suggest delirium, we need two of the first two signs and one or two of the second two signs. And I'll tell you what they are now. So we've got a fluctuating time course. We've got lack of attention, again, going back to that attentional deficit. We have disorganized thinking and we have clouding of consciousness. So we need one and two. So we need the fluctuating time course and we need the the, um, the attentional deficit. And then we can have either or the confused thinking or the clouding of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So that's delirium tremens. So it is a delirium due to alcohol withdrawal. Now, you know, before we treated alcohol withdrawal, there was a, some people have quoted mortality figures of about 40%, but I think more, more rational figures would know, suggest that maybe 15% mortality. So it is something that is potentially lethal and does need treatment. And again, the key thing is to actually revisit the, the, the management of the withdrawal, so do you need to increase the benzodiazepine load, especially when you're talking about the first two or, th- two or three days. So We would expect to see delirium uh, you know, after two or three days of alcohol which all lasting for two to three days. and it, it can, however, persist for weeks, but predominantly we're looking at day two, day three. So again, we need to be suspicious of the delirium that occurs outside that time frame. We also need to be suspicious of a delirium that doesn't look like an alcohol withdrawal delirium. And broadly speaking, we've got two types of delirium. We've got psychoactive or hyperactive delirium, and we've got hypoactive delirium. So we've got the delirium associated with agitation, and we've got the delirium associated with just staying quietly in the corner. Alcohol withdrawal is a hyperactive delirium. It's associated with agitation. So if you're seeing someone with delirium, who's unable to focus or talk to you, but lying quietly in the corner, that is not consistent with an alcohol withdrawal delirium. Right. If you're seeing someone with delirium after two or three days of alcohol withdrawal, again, you need to look for another cause. So again, you need to do that search. Look for other, uh, other causes, so brain diseases, hemorrhage, space-occupying lesion, trauma, metabolic derangements, sepsis. What do we do with it? How do we treat it? Well, we potentially increase the amount of benzodiazepines that we're using to treat the alcohol withdrawal, and or we can consider the use of antipsychotics, especially if the delirium is associated with agitation. But a caution on the use of antipsychotics. They increase seizure threshold. Sorry, they decrease seizure threshold, so they increase the likelihood of of seizures. And in the context of alcohol withdrawal, you really don't want altered seizure threshold. So the key thing is never use an antipsychotic without adequate cover with a benzodiazepine. Sure.
0: Now, in medical school, any time you talk about alcohol and alcohol withdrawal, you hear about three different things. You hear about delirium tremens, which you've mentioned, but you also hear about Wernicke's encephalopathy and Korsakoff's psychosis. Now, Korsakoff's psychosis is the end stage of Wernicke's encephalopathy, but could you please, Fergal, Uh, enlighten us with what is Wernicke's encephalopathy.
1: So it all boils down to vitamin B1, otherwise known as thiamine. So thiamine deficiency was originally described as a condition called beriberi. Beriberi was described first by Jacobus Bontius, who is a Dutch physician in the 17th century working out of Java. Beriberi actually is the name in the local language for sheep, and he he coined that term because it was he, just, he was trying to describe the ataxic gait that his patients were experiencing. So berry berry, think of it as either wet or dry berry berry. So you know wet berry, berry is basically uh, cardiomyopathy, so you're getting this congestive cardiac failure picture, and dry berry berry is due to nerve damage. So nerve damage can be classified as peripheral or central. So Wernicke's, think of it as a central dry berry thiamine deficiency. And thiamine deficiency, when it affects the brain, such as is the case in, in Wernicke's, particularly affects a brain structure known as a diencephalon. So we're talking about the medial thalamus, the mammillary bodies. And it is a lesion in this area that can cause Wernicke's encephalopathy. But it's important to understand that, that's, that thiamine deficiency is not the only cause of Wernicke's encephalopathy. You could have a space-occupying lesion there, or you could have a hemorrhage there, or you know, an, an infection that destroys that part of the brain, or like an abscess. And that will also give you the typical Wernicke's picture. But in, the, in this context, assuming that thiamine is the cause of the Wernicke's, then we have to ask ourselves, well, why have, we got, why have we got thiamine? So thiamine is ubiquitous, but so why do people get thiamine deficiency? Well, firstly, we need to understand that thiamine is very poorly absorbed. So from a standard thiamine tablet, you're only going to get four and a half milligrams of absorbed thiamine per tablet, which is about 100 milligrams. That's if you're healthy, but if you've got alcohol use disorder, that absorption goes down to you know one and a half milligrams. So it really so alcohol really causes a reduction in the absorption of thiamine. So we know that thiamine deficiency is associated with alcohol use disorder and malnutrition. It's also associated with gastroenterological diseases associated with malabsorption. It's also found in in the gynae wards, sorry, rather the obstetric wards, because of of the condition of hyperemesis gravidarum. Assuming that we we are seeing Wernicke's because of thiamine deficiency, then we, we need to actually understand what are we looking for. So the classical triad of Wernicke's is the ataxia, confusion, and ophthalmoplegia. The only 10% of people with Wernicke's will actually present with that triad. So a useful rule of thumb is any new neurological symptom or, or sign in the context of alcohol withdrawal should be treated for as if as it were Wernicke's. But to understand the range, I back to my mnemonics, I have the mnemonic PEACH, P-E-A-C-H. So pupils, so you end up with uh, Argyle-Robertson pupils, so pupils that uh, accommodate but don't react to light and E for extraocular muscle paralysis. Again, that gives us the ophthalmoplegia. A for ataxia, C for confusion, and C for hypothalamic dysfunction. So we're talking about hypothermia, hyperthermia, and hypotension. So that's the kind of range of pathophysiology that we get that is due, that, that is caused by disease of the diencephalon associated with thiamine deficiency. Now, if we recognize this syndrome quickly enough, we can give high high doses of parenteral thiamine, so intramuscular thiamine. But if we don't recognize it, then we will end up with a permanent irreversible brain damage referred to as Korsakoff psychosis. And the hallmark of Korsakoff psychosis is a retrograde amnesia. But you know i think of korsakoff's psychosis as as a dementia a euphoria a confabulation and an amnesia so that that confabulatory uh, demeanor where people just make up stories to fill in large gaps of their memory that's 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 a significant sign of korsakoff's which effectively is saying that this that somebody had a treatable reversible cause of brain damage that was not identified and picked up
0: fascinating Thank you once again, Virgil, for all your insights on this episode. And that brings us to a close of this episode of the Cracking Addiction show. Please remember to like and subscribe and join us on our next episode. Bye for now.